Hey, you're listening to Uninterrupted, the podcast where staying informed is always in style. I'm your host, the Senior Online Editor of Women's Health, Caitlin Aber. Naomi Wolf has a history. She's known as one of the foremothers of third-wave feminism, due in large part to her 1991 book, The Beauty Myth, which turned our notions and acceptance of the male gaze directly on its head, and rightfully so. She's also worked in the political sphere, consulting for Bill Clinton's 1996 campaign and then for Al Gore's run in 2000. She came to prominence during a time when many women were wrinkling their noses at the word feminist, instead opting for much more traditional gender roles and stereotypes. But in 2016, Naomi is thrilled to see such diverse perceptions of feminism and what it means for modern women today. One thing that Naomi believes is that it's not enough to just talk about the issues. Citizens need to be engaged and able to actually take action. That's why her newest project, BillCam, is such a necessary tool. BillCam puts actual legislature in front of citizens and allows them to like, share, and comment on it the exact same way they would an Instagram photo. Naomi is here today to talk with us about the evolution of feminism in her lifetime and why she started this new chapter of civic engagement. So I am here with Naomi Wolf, and I'm so excited to have you in the studio today. I'm so excited to be here, Caitlin. So many people know you as sort of a foremother of the modern feminist movement because of all your work, but also because of your book, The Beauty Myth, in particular. What do you think about the mainstream feminist movement today? Wow. I mean, I couldn't be happier. I mean, first of all, thank you for that characterization. Um, it, it makes me feel very elderly. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> it's, it's, it's better to be. It's better to you know be kind of um, feeling like you're uh, one of the sort of older generations of something that's thriving and beautiful, Mm -hmm. which is how I feel about modern feminism right now. Um, You know, for half of my career, uh, feminism was always sort of characterized in mass media as passe, over, we don't need it, no one's interested, young women don't care. Um, And this was fascinating to me because I was a young woman at the time and I knew that, you know, young women cared about women's issues, but the culture refused to reflect that. Mm -hmm. And I'm so excited about where we are right now because there has been this tremendous shift generationally, your generation, and... um, and I mean, I would say going down to sort of teenagers, where I don't know a young woman who doesn't identify with feminism, whether she calls herself that or not. And I do think also more young women, at least anecdotally, do call themselves feminists very proudly. And then the feminisms that are out there, and I say that in a plural because what's great is they are multiple. It's not monolithic, um, and they should be multiple because you know women are most of human beings, and not one movement or voice or message should represent everybody, right? The many feminisms out there are more robust and assertive and creative than in my entire living memory. I mean, I would say since the 70s, and I was, a, you know, not even conscious barely in the 70s. So it's it's fantastic. It's a renaissance. And it's not just a Western re- renaissance. It's global. So it, I could not be more excited. And I'm just going to add one more thing. This millennial generation of feminists um, have technology to empower them. So actually, this has been under-analyzed, but I think technology and feminism become more than the sum of their parts, as you saw with, for instance, the Arab Spring, where it was like 19-year-old women, you know, behind closed doors were leading the movement, you know, online. Uh, technology, and especially social media, empowers women in, in very unique ways that 
are especially effective for women's empowerment. Absolutely. I think something that also comes out of all that technology is this image sharing, right? Women are Mm. showing pictures of themselves, taking selfies, and that can be a very feminist thing too in a lot of ways. And I wanted to ask you as, you know, the author of The Beauty Myth, what is it like to see all of these young women embracing their bodies, their natural beauty in a way that maybe they haven't for a really long time, if ever? Yeah, th- I'm, I'm glad to hear you characterize it that way because sometimes, <laughs> like also, you know, I'm 53, so I don't always know where to go on sure, Instagram yeah. to find the most empowering things. And so sometimes I, I, I will look at a flood of social media and just be shocked and be like, why are all these women taking off their clothes? <laughs> <You know? laughs> um, and I'm not sure, you know, those streams are particularly empowering. Uh, or I, I, I ask myself questions like, why? You know, what I want to know what's motivating these young women for these particular images. I mean, I'll give you an example. I was with a friend having coffee, and I saw a 21-year-old young woman on a date, clearly. And she was wearing a string shirt with, like, nothing on underneath. Mm-hmm. And I, I just wanted to... I was thinking, huh, this could be either a really good sign or a terrible <laughs> sign. <laughs> you know, like, did she feel she has to to advertise yeah. or did, is she just really comfortable? So uh, I, I, I'm not going to say that every single image I see of kind of women showing, especially starlets or whatever, showing mm-hmm. their abs, I'm going to read as empowering. However, my daughter's generation informs me that there is this body positive movement right. is that what if that's what you're referring yeah. to then yes absolutely <laughs> awesome great i'm all for it yeah i think it's so interesting now um even when i was a teenager i didn't see like plus size women mm. in bathing in bikinis you know even you know growing up i was like you know, if you're over a size eight, you shouldn't wear a bikini. You know, I grew Who up. Who said at, that? I just, you know, it, the media right, told right, me. Exactly, you know, yes. um, but uh. now everyone's doing it. It's gorgeous. It's amazing, yeah. and I think it's it's changing in such a way that you know we're kind of reclaiming that ability to wear what we want and to not have it to fit into this you know very narrow construct of what beauty is. I I really have to say I think I agree with you again. Just looking at little cues, like there's a truly substantial woman on the cover of Sports Illustrated Mm -hmm. this month and someone that in the 80s would have been identified as a plus size model. Right. And she's just a beautiful woman. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, I don't think we're all the way there. But I definitely see more kind of pride in, I mean, uh, so I guess the the phrase people keep using is curves, Mm -hmm. you know, and I guess that means not starving to death. (laughs) So, um, I, I think I do see that, you know, yeah. it definitely reflected in the media. I mean, look at the Kardashian, you know, like she's not gigantic, but, no. but you know, she's not starving to death. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, I, I, I'm not going to go so far as to say I think there's true diversity because, you know, Hollywood actresses right. still, still talk about like feeling like they're being paid to not eat. And I don't think it's yeah. changed the way people perceive themselves a lot of the time. I think it's one thing mean? to, um, to see an Instagram picture of a plus size woman in a bikini and be like, yes, like Mm. you, you do you, that's awesome. (laughs) And then you put a bathing suit on yourself Uh and you're like, Oh, you know, I I don't think it's necessarily translated at least for me personally Uh into that new realm of possibility. I, I hear you at the same time. I do think it helps. Like I am seeing on the street, many more young women of all kinds of shapes and sizes 
and you can't know what someone feels about herself by how she looks, but many more women of all shapes and sizes dressing in a way and holding themselves in a way that to me says, this is who I am. I think I'm awesome. I think I'm super hot. Fuck you. Yeah. (laughs) No, and that helps. That absolutely helps. And that sends a message to everyone Mm -hmm. who sees that person as well that, you know, this is possible. Um, I have another question about young women. (laughs) Can I just add one final thing about that? General empowerment, right? Like, I do think this is connected to rape activism, Mm -hmm. anti-rape activism, like on college campuses, which is also an incredibly exciting, important thing around women reclaiming their bodies. And I think women are sick of suffering physically. You know, like they're sick of being raped. They're sick of being beaten up. They're sick of being intimidated. And I think they're also sick of, being hungry Mm -hmm. Um, and I think when you start to say I think these are connected when you start to say don't don't rape me or I'll name you or I'll sue you or I'll sue the university don't rape me I'm not going to tolerate it don't hurt me like that you can't stand up for your body sexually without Mm -hmm. also noticing that you're hungry absolutely women are definitely saying I have the right to live in my body under my own terms exactly you know I think that's so important yeah um, except they get trolled a lot online for saying all of those right. things. And I wanted to ask you, um, do you think your career would have been different if the beauty myth had come out in the age of Twitter? Interesting question. Um, very good question. So first, let me just say there are plenty of ways to attack, belittle, and humiliate women in print. <laughs> and I have experienced all of them. So I definitely, even before Twitter, you know, even before really widespread internet use, when The Beauty Myth came out and a couple of other books after that came out, I definitely had horrible moments where I would, cur- you know, want to curl up in a fetal position because I was being criticized on television or in newspapers or, you know, whatever it is. So shaming and verbally smearing women is, you know, nothing new. It just assumes new forms of new technologies. That said, a lot of women have asked me about this. And I also experience, because I have a big online presence, thanks to Danielle Hulk, my social media manager who's here today. Um, you know, I it, it does change my day when I post something and people, you know, threaten my physical safety or even just, you know, if you, you know, make mm. fun of my appearance or whatever it is. It's like this immediate like, ugh, you know, that sucks. And, yeah. and there was some insulation from that when it was just print and television, electronic media of other kinds. Um, if that's what you mean, threats and belittlement, yeah. I guess I do say to women when they ask me, you don't have to read the comments. Mm. Like you don't. Like if you, like I guess Twitter, mm, that's tricky. Yeah, then you have I to just, read Twitter, I right? a couple of days ago, I saw a tweet from Jessica Valenti mm. that, you know, uh, somebody had sent a rape threat to her, but yeah. had suggested it was going to be for her daughter <gasps> and how horrible it is. I mean, that's something she can't avoid if it's, you know, a tweet. Right. She's going to see it. You right. know, how do we, oh, yeah. how do you even deal with that? So, well, I've been thinking a lot about that because of, of you know, my own life online now and the letters I get from prison. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess first I do want to say to women generally that especially with social media, like we're all public figures now. And so we kind of have to get over not being warriors, right? Like we can't not be warriors now because the minute you say something online, whether it's people, you know, silencing you or mocking you or more serious things like threats, um, that's the that's the, the sandbox that we play in now. That's the world. And the uh, only alternative to that is silence. Now let's tease out some of those things. You 
can just ignore, like if you you post a, a blog post, right, you can just not read the angry comments, comments yeah. right, unless you have to correct something. I don't think that's ideal as a, you know, public figure. Um, there is a place we all have to get to where if people say, gee, you really look fat today, we just kind of send them a hex and, you mm-hmm. know, move on with our lives. It's a challenging place to get to. Um, but actual threats of violence are very different and people shouldn't know about this. They are illegal. You know, I'm a free speech absolutist, but it is illegal to threaten Jessica Valenti's daughter with rape and she should go right away to her local, you know, precinct and actually call the FBI. And, you know, that person has committed a criminal act um, and there, there are repercussions. It's not about silence and free speech. That's It's illegal to make a threat, um, especially, you know, a specific threat like that. Uh, so I guess we should really inform ourselves about what our rights and responsibilities are to protect our own safety. And the other thing I'm, I'm thinking a lot about is um, <laughs> public, how can I put it? P- if people make threats against women uh, online, there are ways to mobilize online to, um, you know, shame them, intimidate them, and threaten them back. You can, you know, threaten them with legal action. You can threaten them with, um, you know, filing a complaint. You can threaten them with, well, you can just say, okay, I have turned this over to the FBI, you know, and my local precinct. Mm -hmm. They'll be hearing from, you know, you'll be hearing from them. You know, like, we have to engage. We can't, and we can't whine about it. You know, Mm -hmm. we can't. So I'm very sorry that happened. And and as a mother, uh, you know, that would be horrific. Mm. Also, my partner's a security consultant. So if things get really bad, there are security consultants out there who don't charge any more than a therapist, you know, usually <laughs> yeah. by the hour. And you can you can say to them, look, I got this. And they'll just tell you in, in an hour's consultation, like wow. exactly what steps to take. Wow. Okay. So let's I'll just ask a fun question. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know that was <laughs> yeah. a, that was a that was a downer. But I guess no, like it's the, important. It is reason, so important. Yeah. And I think, you know, as somebody who has been in this industry for so long, mm-hmm. you can't really call feminism an industry, but <laughs> no, well, why not? I mean, everything else yeah, is. Right? Um, you know, I wanted to just get your take on it. But speaking of feminism, do you think men can be feminists? Absolutely. Oh, yeah, I th- of course. And I and I think they should be feminists. Um let me just segue from the last thing because mm-hmm. it is so harsh. There's a theoretical reason. I think it's important for us to kind of dis- get in the habit of distinguishing between upsetting people emotionally, which mm-hmm. is critically important for us to get used to because when, whenever we're making change, people will be upset. Right. And also, I'm very into habituating women, especially young women, to be public figures, right? Be public, be out there, be willing to you know, have your image out there, have your voice out there, right? And so inevitably that brings up these these other risks but those two things which I really want to empower women to do one thing that disempowers women is, is they smush it all together in emotions and so the third thing you mentioned it's a crime and there are actions you can take to protect yourself yes. right so I just want to kind of get us in the habit of separating out what's something that's an emotional issue or a mm-hmm. self-esteem issue and what are my rights absolutely um, and and what material steps can mm-hmm. I take in terms of this other category yeah so that's what I wanted yep. to say about that, that that's mm-hmm. so important okay all right so, so uh, men <laughs> as feminists um, yeah s- uh, they they should be uh, and I think it was always r- you know, feminism kind of took this detour um, in the 70s and 80s into a bad thing that it should never have done, which is um, 
identifying itself as a gender war. It isn't a gender war. It's a war for human dignity mm-hmm. uh, that focuses on gender. And so just like I don't believe only, you know, people of color can fight against racism, I actually feel as a, you know, Caucasian person, it's my obligation to fight against racism, just like it's everybody's, right? Um Absolutely, it's men's obligation to fight against gender violence and gender inequality and to be feminists. Um, and we should never have constructed feminism to exclude you know, anybody mm-hmm. uh, who cares about human equality and dignity. Great. Okay, speaking of that, let's switch gears a bit and talk a little bit about modern-day politics. Um, you have ties to the Clintons. You worked Ooh, I don't have ties to them, just okay. to be clear. You don't I have, have a past with you them. You have a past with the Clintons. Yes. You work as a consultant for Bill in I, I worked uh, informally yes. as a consultant for Bill's campaign mm-hmm. uh, advisor, and I worked formally for the Gore campaign. Excellent. As, okay. as a consultant. So Just being super, <laughs> super, <laughs> super scrupulous. Yeah. Uh, what's going on right now is... Is <laughs> everything okay what as somebody who's worked with them, as somebody who, you know, has been involved in politics for a long time? What's your take on the election right now? What is... What do you mean by is everything okay? <laughs> I just mean like <laughs> it's so much different now, you know, than yeah. it was in 1996, obviously. You mean that we've lost our democracy? Is that what you mean? <laughs> Can you explain what you mean by that? Sure. I mean, my last two books have been about civil liberties and democracy, um, less narrowly about women's issues and... That's because what I have been seeing is that, um, you know, everywhere in, in the developed world, but especially in the United States, democracy's not just been under threat, it's been eroded intentionally. And so we definitely, you know, have a spectacle, uh, you know, the conventions are a spectacle in which there's very little actual input from actual citizens and voters. Um, and in fact, democracy or our representation is increasingly a spectacle. It's a form of theater in which basically six major industries run everything, especially after Citizens United. And I can name them if you want. Yeah, um, name them. Sure. Big oil, big war, <laughs> big pharmaceuticals, big insurance, um, and oh, big tech. And uh, there's always an agriculture, agribusiness. Um, so they all, you know, fund both sides of the aisle and no one whatever party's in power because of the influence of these six industries post Citizens United no uh, president I mean we're like Latin America now in the 80s you know like there were democracies in Latin America nominally but really presidents were were heads of state uh, were kind of figureheads so there's, you know, nobody who's elected president anymore unless we change our system uh, to get the money out of politics and to empower voters, and that's something I'm involved in, is going to no president Hillary or Trump is going to be able to say, guess what? We're not, you know, we're going to defund the Pentagon or, mm-hmm. you know, we're, 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 we're just not going to let Monsanto ruin the environment. Like, no one has that power um, to, to stray that much from what these six industries want. Uh, there are little tweaks. And that's why, by the way, during election cycles, you get these completely fake issues um, presented as real issues because nobody in those six industries really cares about gay marriage or even abortion. No one cares. It doesn't matter, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter that much about immigration, sure. right? So they throw out, so there's, they're not burning any political capital, as we used to say, you know, as in the political consulting world, by fighting or making people fight or get riled up over, are you for gay marriage? Are you against gay marriage? What about, you know, the flag? What about, you know, God in schools? Mm-hmm. The pledge, you know, whatever it is, even building a wall. It doesn't matter, right? These are not bedrock. Um, are we going to, 
kind of uh, put a cap on emissions, right? That's a bedrock issue. Are right. we going to have real, um, you know, uh, health insurance that the government provides? That's a real issue. Um, so nobody touches those issues. Like, are we going to, like, not have war as a major industry yeah. no one's gonna go there mm-hmm. you have to promise endless war which is what the yeah. global war on terror is it promises endless war no matter what if everyone wants to make peace tomorrow we still can say global war on or terror. the environment or the uh, environment you know, you're not gonna shut down factory farms anytime soon exactly right know? because agribusiness is so powerful so that's why i kind of can't bear you know watching the spectacle because i remember when in my lifetime, you know, when I was a political consultant, it really mattered, those handful of voters in Ohio. You know, it really mattered if you mm-hmm. could mobilize people to get out the vote. Um, now, there are things, there are a lot of practical things we can do to reclaim our democracy, but basically very short term, I wish I was, you know, inspired about Hillary Clinton being possibly our first woman president, but frankly, she's owned by Wall Street, you know, just like everyone else has had to be owned by Wall Street. and. Am I, you know, very worked up about Donald Trump? You know, even if he gets in, he can't promise to devolve from globalization and, you know, refocus our nation's interests inside our borders because the people who are really running the world are making treaties like the Trans-Pacific Partnership above the heads of parliaments and congresses. Mm -hmm. Um, So... I, I guess that's why I'm less focused on party politics these days and more focused on uh, finding ways to get citizens' hands on the power again. Okay, so let's talk about your new project, Bill Cam. Um, do you want to tell our listeners a little bit about it, what it is, why you started it, and how it works? Sure. And I didn't mean for that to be a <laughs> no <laughs> promotional <laughs> setup. But, um, it worked out well. <laughs> it, it, I, you know, I, I, I really do think this is where the, the action is, like in terms of social activism. And by the way, it's grassroots. Like the most exciting things happening politically right now are happening at a grassroots level and with social media like this campaign um, against rape on campus, for example, which has some exciting bills coming out of it. So the new project is called Daily Clout, and it's a tech company and its first product is called Billcam. I started this company with an amazing woman entrepreneur named Lisa Thomas who was the CEO of Cliff Bars which is a household name Um, and uh, Danielle Hulk helped me build it and I had other really gifted people. Um, So what it does, the need for it came out of my last two books where I sort of kicked the tires of our democracy and found out that there was a lot of fake entry points to protect power. In other words, databases for trying to find out, you know, if I care about zoning in New York, how can I make my voice heard? It it drops into a black void, you know, or databases you can't really search about bills coming up. You have to know what committee the people are sitting in or what the bill title or, you know, is it an ordinance or not? Or, you know, obstacles to citizens actually finding out what the hell is going on. And since I'd been researching democracy, I knew that actually our democracy, every democracy, is really supposed to be pretty simple to operate. And it's supposed to be set up so anyone can drive it effectively. Um, like you don't have to know exactly how a car is built or be able to build one yourself to drive a car. That's how democracy is supposed to work. You're, you don't. You shouldn't have to know every detail in order to get in the car and get to where you want to go. So I found out there were all these fake entry points and that there was also a huge appetite of people wanting to have a say again and not be treated as, you know, ciphers that just get called up once every four years to p- press one button. Um, 
so we developed, and then I found out rather shocking things that you really can't find out what bills are, let alone have a voice about them um, without real insider knowledge. Uh, for example, the way you find out about a federal bill is this old clunky thing called Thomas that is downloads very slowly. It's all PDF. You can't share it. You don't understand it. These bills are 600 pages long. Right. It's like totally unworkable. So our beautiful, amazing product, Bill Cam, actually, um, you can go to Daily Cloud Bill Cam and it pops right up and you can type in abortion, you know, Colorado, or you can type in green energy, you know, federal, or you can type in anything you're interested in at all, you know, Cuba, India, and it'll pop up not only federal results and HTML, not PDF, which means that you can look at them, play with them, share them, um, but also state by state if you want. And then you get your results and then you can choose embed code. And I'm an English major, but even I can do this super easy. You cut and paste it in the back end of your blog or news article and it pops open the live bill. And then not only that, you can go into the bill and comment in the bill. So if you think it's a sucky bill and you want to show people that on the third page, this means that you will lose your driver's license if you get a drunk driving citation and you don't think that's a good idea or you do think it's a good idea, um, you can, you know, have your comment. And not only that, you can then, if you want to mobilize all the mothers against drunk driving that you know because you don't think people should have a driver's license if they have a citation, you can peel it out and share it through social media, adding action steps, and you can tweet the bill to your rep and to the bill sponsor with your comments, with your article attached at mm -hmm. Women's Health, for example. Um, and it's amazing. You yeah. know, it, it suddenly breaks down this wall that was keeping people from understanding these bills, engaging with them, or even having a voice with their representatives. Uh, and it, it brings the conversation over to where people are having a conversation anyway, which is with their friends online, instead of what I saw as a political consultant, which is six white men in their 60s in a room, right. you know, sharing the information among themselves and all the money and all the power and making sure yeah. no one else gets in. So it's super, super exciting. So it launched um, in January, and we've already had five elected officials from Congress people to assembly people to a guy who represents a district in Canada, you know, engage within 24 hours after mm -hmm. we posted a Bill Cam article. It's been in five major media outlets, including the Huffington Post. It's now on the back end as an option for anyone writing about legislation in the Huffington Post. Um, and uh, and it's, it's, it's just revolutionary, um, and I'm very excited about it. And we're also, I guess what's an amazing, just to tell you a story about like how it kind of changes the game so any ordinary person can have some power, you know, whereas they didn't used to be able to. One 20-year-old um, editor of ours, Haley Snyder, uh, you know, she's just a college student. Right. You know, ordinarily she'd have zero voice, mm -hmm. zero impact. She doesn't have money. She doesn't have influence. I mean, I'm not going off the reservation. She doesn't, you know, <laughs> she, does, she doesn't have money. She's a college student. She doesn't have influence um, beyond her voice and social media. So she wrote a blog post about the tampon tax bill. Mm -hmm. uh, and this for anyone who menstruates, you know, which is millions and millions and millions of us, this is, a, it should be a big deal because they tax these basic necessities, right? right? And it's discriminatory because men don't menstruate. So we're paying this discriminatory tax. Um, so this assemblywoman from a low-income area in California uh, proposed a bill 
to benefit her constituents that would take the taxes off of tampons and menstrual products. And Haley embedded that live bill in her article about the tampon tax. So immediately, this um, assemblywoman retweeted Mm -hmm. Haley's Huffington Post blog about this with her bill in it to all of her constituents. And then there were, very soon thereafter, six copycat bills introduced in different states because women were like, hell yes, Mm -hmm. I want to support taking the discriminatory tax off of these ridiculously expensive tampons. They're like... You know, and if you working. do the math, and, yeah. and then and then the EU introduced a copycat yeah. bill, um, and you know, and then there were all these discussions online about menstrual health politics because right. there are these organizations that are trying to get low-income women cheap or affordable or free menstrual health products. And in New York City, we just we just passed that. Law. Oh, really? See, yep. I didn't even know so that. So, New York City, all public schools, prisons, and I think hospitals. I could be wrong. Double check. Free menstrual products. Amazing. And can you imagine being in prison or in a hospital being low income and not being able to afford it? And in, in, I mean, this is just America and the developed world. In the developing world, you know, it's a big problem. People are just beginning to talk about that Mm -hmm. girls can't go to school when they're menstruating because they don't have menstrual care products. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's a big deal and it's a political issue. And Haley Snyder, you know, helped pass that bill. Like that bill passed. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's cool. And it also gives the assemblywoman a, a great way to communicate with her constituents and mobilize mm-hmm. support. Um, and I guess the other cool thing is five, you know, five elected officials kind of have realized already the power of this tool to, uh, yeah. to communicate what they care about. It's a great tool. And we'll have a link to it up Thank on womenshealthmag.com. So you are a very busy, engaged woman. Thank because you. this is women's health, I wanted to ask you, how do you take care of yourself? And uh-huh. what have you learned about yourself <laughs> over the years that allows you to stay healthy that, and productive? That is a, a also a wonderful question. <laughs> no, seriously, because so often, you know, I'm doing these interviews and we, we all walk around in our bodies and our, mm-hmm. you know, our bodies and our well-being just never comes up, but it should. Right. Um, I mean, it comes up in stupid ways, like, you know, like like fashiony you know <laughs> anorexic ways but it doesn't come up in positive yeah. ways. so to pivot to that answer i just want to give women's health a really big shout out because i've always felt that women's magazines were a huge and often are a huge like lever lever for social change positive social change for women um and you guys were first out of the gate among all of your competitors in this space to adopt bill camp to serve your your readers. Thank you. Um, and I, I just think that's awesome and, and kind of brave. I mean, all good things will come of it, but I just want to give you credit because, you know, m- m- all women's magazines give a lot of positive lip service to empowering women politically, but actually go out there, you know, as we were saying before, you have to go out and be a warrior. Right. You guys actually went out there and like are, pr- you know, providing it for mm-hmm. your readers. Um, so how do I stay healthy? <laughs> I'm just laughing because, you know, we all feel like we should do more. Right. But, um, I do feel kind of blessed that I am pretty healthy, Knockwood, and uh, I'm pretty old. You know, I'm 53. No, I mean, whatever. I'm not, you know, it's, I mean, I guess I feel, I'm saying that kind of positively because one thing I'm aware of is that young women, especially when I was in my 20s, you never saw images of older women that were healthy, positive, happy, you know, exuding well-being, whatever. And I am just kind of saying, you know, encouraging other women my age and older to say if they're happy and healthy and feel good about themselves, Mm -hmm. say it, you know, because young ladies need to hear that it like just gets better and better. Right. Right. So um, how do I, you know, I go to the gym not as often as I should. I, you know, 
what do I do? I lift weights, um, not as often as I should, but I like <laughs> weightlifting because I'm very uncoordinated and it's one thing I can't like, <laughs> you'll fall over when I'm doing. Or, um, I swim when I'm around a yeah. you know, body of water, um, not that, not as often as I should. I don't smoke. I used to smoke socially, but socially becomes, you know, often when right. it's so much fun with a cocktail, so I don't do that anymore. Um, you know, I try to eat uh, kind of gluten-free because I think there's something wrong with the wheat in America. Mm-hmm. I don't feel as ill eating wheat in other countries, but right. I don't feel good when I eat wheat mm. in America. Um, that's pretty much it. Is yeah. there anything else I can like? Do you like meditate? Do you read? Do you listen to music? Uh, right. So I listen to music because I have two young people living in my house who are my children, um, and they have great taste in music. So yeah. I, you know, I listen to their music and, mm-hmm. um, you know, obviously my own, but again, I'm not that, I'm kind of musically illiterate. So <laughs> like my taste kind of froze in the, you know, 70s and 80s and I'm very like um, not cool. So I, I get to hear, you know, better music by, yeah. by listening to my what my children are playing. Um, I certainly read, but mm-hmm. usually I'm reading for work. Yeah. So that's not that relaxing. No. <laughs> I do I do try to meditate. I do. And if we're talking about general well-being, I have to say, you know, there's so many studies now about your mind affecting your body. And mm-hmm. my last book, Vagina, was all about the mind-body connection sexually, but also in terms of many other kinds of well-being. So since I did the research for that book, I've been very aware, and I am not perfect, but I'm, I'm really aware of like, probably more than the care I take with like going to the gym or eating right, like I try to take such care with my thoughts. Mm-hmm. And when I'm starting to feel resentment or hostility, you know, send that blessing or kind right. of look around and say, yes, there's a ton of laundry to do, but I'm so lucky to have these people in my life right. to look after, you know. <laughs> access um, to a washing machine. <laughs> access to a wa- No, but exactly, exactly. Yeah. And especially traveling in the rest of the world, you know, we are so lucky in this most of us are so privileged to have shelter and have food and and you know to to have an education and and to have some level of freedom so i really try to just be grateful you know and mm-hmm. also to be kind like that may sound like not a, a really central thing in terms of well-being but i definitely find I think like it, it does i think if you can live your day knowing you're kind to others it doesn't eat at you so much you I, know? I do think so and i also think like love works miracles. Like I've mm-hmm. seen situations where, you know, everyone was tired. I was tired. I was ready to be a bitch, you know, and just it was starting to go in a really bad direction. And if I took a moment and took a deep breath, and I always try to remind myself of that Buddhist thing: treat everyone you meet as if they're fighting a mighty battle. Mm-hmm. You know, just think I don't know what's on the other side of this person's right. awful mood. You know, it could be something terrible. And then if I try to just be the person that didn't make their life worse that day, and maybe even, you know, a smile or a nice comment, it does like melt bad energy so well. It doesn't always work. You know, I still have horrible days, but um, I watch my mind make them more horrible, you know, if I let my mind make them more horrible. Yeah. That's great. Um, So we ask every guest on the show to promote a woman whether it's like an activist, an actor, a politician, a writer, whomever, just somebody you think our listeners should check out. Do you have a woman you want to promote today? I do, I do. So when I was in Oxford, and um, that was a month ago, 
and I'm excited to have been there because I finished my doctorate. Oh, 20, congratulations. Thank you. 23 years wow, late. Wow, that's awesome, though. <laughs> thank you very much. Um, I was uh, sort of, what, mentored by a woman named Baroness Helena Kennedy, Queen's Council, and she got her Baroness-ishness by merit, um, not uh, being born into it because she's a human rights lawyer. And she was the one who pioneered the domestic violence defense um, in the 80s for women who fought back against abusive husbands. Uh, and she also just works really hard to protect the rights of um, prisoners, of uh, incarcerated people, of uh, people accused around the world without due process. And she's uh, raising $13 million for Mansfield College in Oxford, where she's the warden of the college. One of the few women um, wardens of a college means like a president of a college in yeah. Oxford to um, build a human rights foundation at Mansfield College. So she is my new idol. She took me and my partner to the House of Lords, uh, which was amazing. And she also, when I shared with her that it's very difficult to find bills in the European Union, she really took that seriously. So she cares about, you know, all the things I care about, but she's much more mm -hmm. accomplished than I am. She cares about civil liberties, freedom, and also women's rights and, and democracy. So she's the trifecta. Excellent. Well, we'll be sure to provide some information to her for thank her. Thank you. Um, so I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you, Caitlin. I absolutely and loved talking to you, yeah. and I love I love being in the women's health community. Thank you. Where can people find you and the work that you do? So go to dailyclout.com to look at Daily Cloud and the work we're doing there, and come to Facebook, my fan page, Naomi Wolf, and I can talk to you there, um, and Twitter. Naomi R. Wolf. Naomi R. Wolf is my Excellent. Twitter handle. <laughs> <laughs> is that, did I say that right? Do I need to say that over? Okay. <laughs> Naomi R. Wolf. Excellent. Thank you so much. Thank you, Caitlin. To learn more about Bill Cam, visit dailyclout.com. You should also follow Naomi on Twitter at Naomi R. Wolf. We are emotionally needy, and we want to know how much you love Uninterrupted. Please leave us a comment on the Uninterrupted Facebook page or on iTunes. While you're there, be sure to subscribe to the show so you don't miss any future episodes. You can also tweet at me directly using the hashtag WHUninterrupted. I'm EverydayCaitlin on Twitter. This episode of Uninterrupted was produced by me, Caitlin Abbott, and recorded at CBS Studios. Our theme music is by Jen Miller. You can check her out at jenmillermusic.com. That's all we got for today. We hope you tune in next week. And in the meantime, go find out what your representatives are up to and stay uninterrupted.